welcome back to the syndicate. My name is Lakshman and I'm joined with Hey everyone, I'm Benjamin. Welcome back everybody to the syndicate. Well, it's been quite a while. We've been on a quite a hiatus for a couple of weeks, but we're back and we've got tons and tons of news to cover as well as a couple of pretty interesting discussions that we're going to get on with later today. So, without further ado, Ben, I think we should jump straight into the news. So, I think the best place to begin is with what's going on with Samsung. So Samsung had a really big week last week. Uh, Samsung's Unpacked event, their annual uh, Galaxy event happened. And this time we've got a bunch of products released by Samsung. A bunch of products that we already were expecting, but this time we got to see them all in person. So we've got devices like the Note 20, the Note 20 Ultra, the Galaxy Z Fold, um, as, as well as a new pair of headphones called Galaxy Buds Life, a new watch, a Galaxy Watch, and a new tablet. Can you believe it? Samsung's still making tablets. So based on all of the devices unveiled by Samsung, I got to ask you, Ben, because you're the Android guy here, what has gotten you the most excited for? Well, it's got to be the Z Fold 2. Um... Uh, this might actually come as a surprise to a lot of people, but um, let me try to explain it the best way I can. Um, as you and I know, Lax, uh, phone sizes have been get- getting bigger and bigger and bigger as uh, time goes on. And it's getting to a point now where it's pretty unwieldy. I mean, the uh, the Note 20 Ultra is like, what, 6.9 inches? That's, ri- that's ridiculously huge, you know. Uh, I'm using a Samsung Galaxy S10. Uh, and the screen size is about 6.1 inches. And even then, it's starting to get a little unwieldy. And I have relatively large hands. So I can't really say I particularly like having larger and larger phones. And so the Z Fold, even the first uh, first generation Fold, um, it, it presented us with this, well, it's not necessarily a new idea, but the, the concept that you can have both a smaller size screen and a larger size screen in the same device. And that's very compelling because most of the time, you know, if you're just scrolling through messages, if you just want to do a bit of uh, browsing on the uh, internet, uh, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you know, the small screen is actually good enough and it's one handable. You don't have to worry about too much. But when you want to have, when you want to, let's say, uh, consume media, when you want to do things which require a larger screen, multitasking and the lot, it's a, it's a lot nicer to have a larger screen. And that's why the Note line has been really, really popular. But it's getting to a point where I think so it's pretty unwieldy to use. It's pretty big. It's pretty chunky. You know, the, the Note lineup, even the S20 lineup, it's pretty big. So I think the Galaxy Z Fold is the phone for me. Sadly, I can't really afford it. Um, what it's a uh, it's about the same price as last year's model, uh, and in Malaysia it retailed for about almost nine thousand ringgit. Uh, so, as much as I do want to buy the phone, it's a bit out of my price range. But that is definitely the phone that I'm most interested in. Well, that's definitely an interesting observation, because uh, for me, I think you and I have been having this discussion for quite a while. I've been on the fence on foldables for uh, quite quite some time now. I do enjoy the idea of the foldable. It's definitely an interesting concept. And with and with what we've been seeing with foldables over the past year, with um, Samsung's Fold and with uh, Motorola's and Razer and Huawei and a bunch of other manufacturers, the concept is interesting. But I think in terms of the execution, it's not there yet. And if you look at um, Samsung's latest offering, the Z Fold 2, it's got a new name now. So I I think from a practical standpoint, Samsung is the only manufacturer out of all the other manufacturers that have somewhat gotten the foldable idea almost right. Like the Z Fold 2 is almost there. It's not perfect. It's not. But it's the best one out of the bunch. Because Samsung took a lot of the complaints from the first generation and just got rid of all of them. Like this time, they got rid. <clears throat> they got rid of the notch, and they gave us a continuous bezel-less display, 
And on the front, when you close the device, they gave it a much larger, more expansive display in the front. So I think it makes for one-handed usability. And when it's folded, it makes the overall experience a lot more uh, compelling, in my opinion. But in regards to uh, the Note 20 and the Note 20 Ultra, so I was lucky enough to actually get my hands on the Note 20 devices a few days ago. And upon first glance, again, beautiful screens. Samsung makes some of the best panels uh, in the industry. But I'm going to have to agree with you on size. These phones are massive. You know, and I have I have pretty small hands, and they, they just seem so unwieldy to me. And not to mention the ginormous camera bump. I think it's the largest protrusion I've seen on any mobile device. Um, with all that, you know, said, there are people who, you know, die out, they are diehard fans of the Note lineup. They will love this device because it's got such an expansive canvas. But I think from a practicality standpoint, it's not there yet. But um, Samsung is also committed to um, <clears throat> providing at least three years of support, of Android support for these devices. So that's, a, that's an interesting, interesting idea that we'll explore later on. But generally, the Note line, it, it's, it's an iteration from what Note devices have been over from the past couple of years. It's a great device. Note, fans of the Note will love it. But um, in terms of the Z Fold, great concept. Just it's not quite there yet. Um, pricing is a, a massive turn turnoff for lots of people. But I think uh, as the years go on, you know, foldables are going to get a lot more interesting. So generally, I think Samsung really stepped up their game here in terms of the foldables. But Ben, I think we have to address one device: the standard Galaxy Note Twenty. That thing's made of plastic, Ben. You're paying a thousand US dollars for a plastic phone. What's your take? Well, yeah, actually, we were talking about this the other day, didn't we? Um, now, I have a Nokia N9 somewhere in my room, um, and the Nokia N9 also uses a polycarbonate uh, material finish. Well, the, the the chassis is made of polycarbonate, and yes, polycarbonate does feel like plastic. You can make it work. You can make it feel somewhat premium. But I, I agree with you. For for a thousand dollars, you're not a. You can't really sell to people a plastic phone. I mean, Paul, that's what polycarbonate phones are. And so I think it's a bit sad uh, uh, that that Samsung has priced this device so expensive, uh, such a well a thousand dollars, and yet uh, the materials are lackluster. You know. Um, it makes the, the, the OnePlus Nord, which we're going to discuss later on, by the way, uh, it makes the OnePlus Nord such a compelling device, and that's made of plastic. Well, actually, it's not made of plastic. The, uh, the casing, the, the, the outer rim is made of plastic, uh, but the front, and black, uh, the front and back are made of glass. Um, and the other thing that I pointed out uh, to you uh, before the podcast, I think a few days ago, um, if the rumors are right, Apple will have a much, much better pricing on their phones than Samsung has this year. Uh, I think it goes to show that I think Samsung, to quite an extent, has bungled up their lineup. Uh, again, which is a bit unfortunate. But then again, I don't uh, exactly uh, use or like Samsung. Yes, I'm using the S10, but you know that was the only compelling phone that I think Samsung has made. Something that I'd buy. Uh, none of the phones this year had the same sort of compelling uh, element other than the Z Fold 2. Um, yeah, so whether Note 20 is concerned, um, yes, the processor is the highest end uh, processor. It has 8 gigabytes of RAM, which I believe is most enough, more than enough for most people. Uh, the screen is, of course, as fantastic as ever. But it's those slight differences that really push the Note 20 down from where it actually should be. You know, the, the, the Note lineup is supposed to be the ultra-premium flagship line from Samsung. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be the phone that, if you hold it in your hand, it's gonna, it should be wow. You know, it should give you that wow factor. And the Note 20 line just, the, well, the Note 20 specifically didn't do that. The Note 20, the Note 20 Ultra is really pretty device. But I think if you compare it next to the Note 20, if you, uh, we take the Note 20, 
uh, unfortunately, it's simply not as compelling as it used to be, uh, which is really sad. The Note 10 was really nice, but uh, not the Note 20. So what do you think, Lakshman? You know, I, I agree with you on, uh, on a lot of things. In fact, I'm going to go on the line here and say this. I think last year's Note 10 is still a better purchase decision than the standard Note 20. You know, I, I mean, think about it, you know. Last year's Note 10, it's got, you know, a glass back. It feels more premium. This year's Note 20, at least the standard Note 20, it's just not compelling enough to fork out $1,000 for a phone that's just, it just doesn't feel as premium. And in fact, um, getting my hands on both the devices, the Note 20 Ultra, it hits all the, it, it hits all the right marks. But the standard Note 20, I feel like Samsung just, they really cheaped out here. In fact, there is no reason, in my opinion, for, for people to spend as much. I think for those of you who want to get, uh, who are looking to get a standard Note 20 and not the Note 20 Ultra, I think you're better off looking elsewhere or getting last year's uh, Note 10 uh, or uh, Note, uh, Note 10 Plus because it's not worth spending $1,000 for a plastic device. Polycarbonate, whatever you call it, it's still plastic at the end of the day, and that really doesn't justify you paying the premium. So generally, that's it. Those are the biggest offerings from Samsung. Um, also, we've got the new Galaxy Beans. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean Galaxy Buds Life, who actually look like little tiny beans, Ben. Do you agree? Well, yeah, it actually does look like little beans. Um... Uh, I forgot who mentioned it, uh, but as uh, a, a tech YouTuber mentioned, they, they really did miss the opportunity to call it the Galaxy Beans. You know, there really wouldn't be any problems uh, with them calling them that. Uh, I think I think where, um, where noise cancellation devices goes, uh, I think it's I think it's pretty good. You know, for the price, it's 130 US dollars, which um, if you're in Malaysia translates to around 700 ringgit. That's a really good price for a for for a noise cancelling uh, pair pair of noise cancelling uh, uh, earphones, you know, wireless earphones at that. Um, no, it actually won't give you the same sort of uh, impact as say the AirPods Pro. But then you're comparing a seven hundred ringgit device with a thousand a thousand ringgit device, or rather a thousand one hundred ringgit device. So I do think, in that sense. Uh, with this unique design, and it does seem to fit well in the ears. Actually, I don't know. It's 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 pretty compelling. I might end up buying it. Although that being said, I'm still not. I'm still not really into the whole uh, wireless uh, earbuds thing. Um, I think they're still. I think they're still not good enough. Uh, I think still wired earphones are the way to go. Uh, uh, but you know, hopefully in the next year or two, uh, uh, Samsung might. Uh, or even Apple, whomever actually, uh, could uh, they they might be able to come up with a, a decent offering. Uh, but for the time being, if you're broke, well, somewhat broke, and you really want to get a, a pair of wireless earbuds, I think this is a really good choice for a lot of people. It's at a good price. It's competitive. It's unique if you want to stand out. So yes, uh, quite fascinating uh, offering by Samsung actually. Um, yeah, so uh, Lex, have you seen the device for yourself in uh, in person? No, I've not. Uh, not gotten the chance to check out those uh, Galaxy Beans. You know, I'm gonna call them Beans, Ben. You know, I'm just I'm just gonna stick with that. I've not checked out the device in person yet, but um, they are they do seem to be quite a compelling uh, compelling offering from from Samsung. So I think um, with this unique design, it will really catapult. Um, these devices because you know it'll gain more attention and just like how AirPods is a runaway success because of its odd looking design uh, I think the same thing could happen over here and this could be one of the best uh, offerings on the Android side of things anyways other than that well we've got the Galaxy Watch uh, 3 which to be honest is I mean at this point Android where it just it's just it's lost to uh, to the Apple Watch it's just a no I mean, it doesn't make sense to purchase an Android Wear device, but uh, it is a solid smartwatch from uh, for if you like Samsung Samsung's offering. If you like uh, smartwatches that run Tizen, then by all means go ahead. 
but it's not for everyone. And then we've also got um, the new Galaxy Tab S7, if I'm not mistaken, that's what it's called. And that's just an iPad Pro ripoff to me, but what do you think, Ben? Um, well, on the Galaxy Watch first, uh, well, I guess it's fine. You know, if you like smartwatches, you like smartwatches. If, uh, uh, if you're using an Android, this might be the best one you could get. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it the best-looking smartwatch on the market. Uh, I think the Moto 360 still has that uh, honor. But, uh, you know, good for you, you know, for any of you who actually like smartwatches. I don't. Uh, I've never found, I never found a, a, a good reason to use or buy them. Uh, but if you do, or if you're in the Samsung ecosystem, if you've used a Galaxy Watch before, hey, uh, this is something uh, great for you to use. Uh, with the Samsung uh, Tab S7, um, I'm not sure because I'm not really into Android tablets as well. Well, uh, in general, I'm not into tablets, you know, uh, iPad, whether it runs, uh, uh iPad OS or whether it runs some version of Android, I'm not necessarily a fan of them, but I think with what Samsung has done, they've, they've tried to build a sort of PC experience around it with, uh, Android and their version of what an Android desk, uh, a desktop version should be. I'm not exactly sure uh, in what way people can use it because, you know, it's not like iPadOS where there's a different workflow. You can tell, you know, it's not for everyone. It's definitely not. But there is something there for a certain kind of person. If you are a student, if you are a designer, you know, the iPad Pro, the workflow that the iPad Pro gives you, it's it's really something to consider. But with the Tab S7, I'm not very sure because, you know, Android simply doesn't have the sort of benefits that a tightly integrated uh, uh, system does, like the Apple ecosystem. So for the time being, I think I think it's going to be very similar to what a uh, Chrome Chromecast is like, uh, and what uh, previous Android tablets have been like. It might be a better experience. It seems really smooth, I'll say, uh, based on what I've seen so far. But in terms of Samsung trying to push this device to, in a way, compete with the iPad Pro or to compete with the laptops, uh, laptop segment in general, I can't say where they'll go. I think it's interesting, but, you know, for someone like myself who, well, I'm a power user, you know, I need a PC. Uh, I, I need to, I need to be able, I need to be able to do work because my workflow is very versatile. So for something like that, for someone like me, it's not really worth it. Uh, but for any of you who out there who are, say, students, uh, or if your workflow does not really require something so intensive, and if you're not necessarily into the whole Apple ecosystem, this is a very good platform. It's a very good device for you to get into. How about you, Lex? What would you consider the Tab S7 in your life? Never. In a million years. <laughs> but generally, <laughs> but I think I think in terms of the Android side, if you look at tablets and the Android end, there really isn't a compelling offering. And this Tab S7 is the closest you'll ever get to an Android tablet. Because right now, at least for me, I really cannot think of any other Android device that's centered around a tablet experience that's still a thing in the market, except for the Galaxy Tabs. And they try to emulate the iPad Pro in a lot of ways, and but that's a good thing because it's bringing some of those uh, those features to uh, to the Android ecosystem. How well they'll do is again, um, I, I don't know. You know, these things don't don't sell that well, but it's the best, most compelling offering for a tablet on the Android side of things. But um, still, if, if, you, if you want a good tablet, generally, you're better off spending money on a cheaper iPad than, uh, than this device. Although, if you're in the Samsung ecosystem, then by all means, uh, this is an interesting offering. So generally, the unpacked event was, uh, I mean, a lot of interesting stuff was revealed, but it's nothing, nothing that blew our minds because pretty much like all Samsung events, everything was leaked to hell before the event. But overall, again, I'm most excited for the Galaxy Z Fold 2. That device seemed to have 
a lot of potential. Uh, the Note 20 Ultra, is, it's, it's an interesting device. It's cool. Um, the standard Note 20 is just a really bad offering. Um, the Galaxy Buds are interesting. The Galaxy Watch is, yeah, sure, whatever. And the <laughs> Tab S7 is it's a, good, it's a good Android tablet. So that's about it for Samsung's thing last week. But over the past month, we've been getting lots and lots, especially over the past couple of weeks, so many offerings, so many new devices, uh, in particular with OnePlus. So OnePlus made headlines uh, couple, for the past couple of weeks with the introduction of the brand new OnePlus Nord. Now, this device was what OnePlus was saying is them returning, going back to the roots. Although that isn't necessarily true, it's not a flagship killer per se. It is a very, very compelling uh, offering. Actually, in my opinion, the most compelling offering uh, for from the Android side of things. So, Ben, what do you think, Ben? What's your What's your take on the OnePlus Nord? Well, uh, okay, I might have a slightly different perspective than most people do. Uh, that includes the tech reviewers, or even you for yourself. And I say this because I used to own the uh, OnePlus X. So for those of you who didn't know, um, the year that OnePlus released the OnePlus 2, beside it, alongside it, they released a sort of budget offering. This wasn't a flagship killer. It really was a budget offering at 250 US dollars for about a, a thousand ringgit or so. They introduced the uh, OnePlus X, which essentially used the internals from the OnePlus One, but actually slightly better. So it had a glass sandwich design. It actually looked a lot like the uh, iPhone 4, actually, in, in quite a few ways. It also had an AMOLED screen. Uh, I remember the day I actually showed Lakshman, it was quite a few years ago, uh, uh, he was he was awestruck by it. He, he he could not believe that I actually got something like that. Now I really like the One Plus X, and sadly, um, uh, I I sort of buggered up its display, so it's just just sitting there. Uh, I I might have to get that repaired soon. But in any case, when I look at the One Plus Nord, you know a lot of people like to make comparisons with that and the One Plus X, and I think that's not right. You know, because if if the OnePlus Nord really is going to be something like the OnePlus X, you'd expect uh, a Snapdragon 855 processor. And you wouldn't find as much, say, uh, uh, cutbacks. You wouldn't find some cost-saving measures in, in a lot of respects. I think I think OnePlus did try to make a device which was appealing to as many people as possible. But I think for me, the OnePlus Nord is not really that exciting. You know, if you wanted to buy, you know, a decent phone, you wanted it to be relatively clean, but you wanted it to also be competent. You want it to be powerful and smooth in some regards. Then sure, it's it's the phone for you. But I, I can't seem to particularly enjoy the, the, the OnePlus Nord. You know, uh, uh, for me, I've never associated OnePlus with plastic. Never. I've never associated OnePlus with plastic until this phone. Now, remember, uh, you know, uh, re remember what I've said. The OnePlus X had a glass sandwich design, which means the frame, which means the frame, the the, uh, uh, the, the, the core of the support of the device was made of uh, aluminium. So even with a budget offering at 250 US dollars, not once did OnePlus actually use uh, plastic, or at least, if they did, it's it's not it's not a time I can remember. Maybe the one plus one, but I don't recall. So it's a bit uh for me it's it's sort of bittersweet. Uh, I can't help but how do I put it? I, I can't help but dislike the one plus Nord actually, but at the same time I can't help but think, well, at least now there's a there's a budget offering. Uh, for for a lot of people, but for me, I don't think it's enough, uh, especially not beside the 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 iPhone SE. You know, the iPhone SE, even though it has a data design, it's still a premium feeling phone. By and large, it has a better it has a, a, a better processor. It has well, it does have objectively a better camera. 
it doesn't have a better display. The display is pretty bad on the OnePlus SE. Uh, sorry, uh, on the oh, my bad, my bad, not OnePlus. Uh, the iPhone SE. Uh, but that's it. You know, there are very few things that are wrong with the iPhone SE compared to the uh, OnePlus Nord. So I think, in that regard, it's hard to say which one I choose. Actually, I wouldn't choose either uh, if I had to choose one at all. But there's something about the OnePlus Nord that just doesn't interest me. It doesn't interest me as I thought uh, I, I, I would be. You know, the, the OnePlus really did overhype uh, uh, the launch of this phone. Uh, and, and I think a lot of other tech reviewers, uh, uh, tech YouTubers did as well. And uh, I must say, it's not really that impressive. It's a good phone, don't get me wrong. It's a competent phone. It'll do you well, but it's, it's not that great. It's not OnePlus returning to their roots. Is OnePlus evolving and catering to more, more, uh, 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 catering to more people than ever before? And so this is the result for trying to, for them trying to create a new budget offering. Lex, what are your views on this? You know, you know, listening to you, uh, you know, talk about the OnePlus Nord, it's given me a lot of perspective because this is coming from an Android user. People, bear in mind this: you're you've been an Android user since the beginning, and you know, if you think the OnePlus Nord is not as a compelling device as other offerings out there, and even you went to the extent of comparing it to the iPhone SE, I have to say um, that's quite an interesting take because it's not a take that the mo most people tend to agree upon. Um, I don't agree with you entirely, but there are certain aspects that I do agree with you on. For for instance, this is not OnePlus going back to the roots. As much as we, um, as all the marketing has pointed out, this is not OnePlus. This is not the old OnePlus we know and love, because if this was the old OnePlus, they will, you know, this will be a device that would have a much better processor and it would essentially be placed as the flagship killer. But OnePlus cannot do that because you know why? Today, OnePlus is no longer a flagship killer brand. They essentially make flagship devices. So. I agree with you that this is a sign that OnePlus is evolving, expanding the range of devices, but it's not OnePlus going back to the roots. But for me, as a, uh, as a lifelong iOS user, I think we've discussed this before, this is the most compelling offering on the Android side of things. I have never wanted to own an Android more than a, than a OnePlus Nord because it's got, for me at least, it's gotten a lot of the things right. You know, it's got a great display it's got a decent size it's got a a enjoyable design it runs you know a fantastic version of android oxygen os is still one of the best versions of android out there period and on top of that it's just it's just priced right you know it's not really expensive it's just perfect you know so I think this will attract a lot of people who, you know, who are looking to get a new phone, but don't want to spend as much. I think uh, a lot of people would uh, would be would be quite happy with uh, the OnePlus Nord, but it's not for everybody, as you've mentioned. You know, it's not something professionals would use. It's it's something I think people will enjoy, but it's not for everyone. So. You know, with that in mind, I think this we're at a crossroads with OnePlus here. So we're going to get into all the details later on in, during the discussion. But it's definitely an interesting time uh, for OnePlus. But over on uh, the Google side of things, we've also got some news. So the Google Pixel 4a was released uh, about a week ago. And, hmm, I, I don't know, Ben. It's a... Uh, uh, my feelings are kind of a mixed bag on the Google Pixel 4a. So what are your, what's your take? Oh, well, my opinions on the Pixel 4a is actually very similar to the Nord. Um, yes, I mean, the, the Pixel 4a is priced a lot more aggressively than the Nord is at, at about 350 US dollars. Uh, but I think it's a little too late for Google, uh, unfortunately. Um, you know, with their, with their, with their A lineup, I think Google had a very clear direction, uh, but it's been distracted by their attempts to make a flagship phone work. I mean, think about it. The P 
Pixel 4a is a better looking phone than the Pixel 4, and the Pixel 4 is a flagship device. You know, this is how how badly uh, Google has a, 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 you know, screw things over for themselves, actually. But strictly speaking on the 4a, it's a Pixel device, so it's going to have a fantastic camera. No doubt. It's going to shoot amazing stills. Video-wise, I don't think Google's there yet. For whatever reason, it's really odd that they managed to get photography right. But uh, videography, not, 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 not really quite there yet. Uh, Apple is still king in that regard. But, you know, I, I would say that most people take photos rather than videos. So for that kind of crowd, the, the Pixel 4a is actually pretty good. It is, uh, again, like I mentioned, it's the best looking uh, uh, Pixel device. So it, it's, it, it's basically like my S10, you know. It has a punch hole design, clean look, very good looking. Yes, it's still made of plastic, but I think that's okay, you know, it's for a budget phone for $350. I suppose it's to be expected. But everything else about the phone is, well, basic. You know, it's a Pixel phone. Now, while a lot of people like stock Android, I'm not actually one of those people. I've actually moved away from that position. I prefer something like what OnePlus is doing or what Motorola uh, uh, is doing. It's stock Android with a bit of a sprinkling of features here and there. So is this the one for you? Well, if you're from Malaysia, uh, tough luck. Uh, the Pixel 4 is probably not going to come here. Uh, if, for whatever reason, we have uh, someone from North America listening to us, you know, this might be a better deal than the OnePlus Nord because at the very least, you get a good camera with a Pixel 4a, if that's what you're into. But if you're into user experience, about smoothness, about a fast, sorry, about a high, with a, about a high refresh rate, if you like those kinds of things, then yeah, you, you might as well go for the OnePlus Nord. They're both pretty good compelling devices, but with the Pixel 4, 4a, I don't know. I think Google's lost me. Uh, I might never consider a Pixel lineup as good as their cameras are. Uh, it's, it's just an ordinary device. You know, it's, it has almost the same specifications as the, uh, OnePlus Nord, just with a better camera. You know, I have to agree with you. And, um, in fact, I was, I was telling you this yesterday, and I'm going to tell our listeners this. I think I was jokingly telling Ben this yesterday. The Pixel 4a is the phone made for Benjamin. Because you know why? It comes in black as the only color, and it has a headphone jack in 2020. <laughs> but generally, you know, I think um, the Pixel 4a is, it's a, it's a phone that's trying to position itself as one thing, but its execution is not quite there yet. You know, since the primary target of this phone is the India market, so I think it'll it'll do pretty well over there. But generally, over in North America, it's not, in my opinion, a good uh, budget offering. You know, and as a result of the Pixel 4a, it's really confused the Pixel lineup in general because devices like the Pixel 4 and the 4XL, flagship Google devices, have been cancelled. Google recently cancelled both the Pixel 4 and Pixel 4a. I mean, sorry, um, Pixel 4 XL. So this goes to show that, you know, Google is, is, they still don't know what they're doing, you know? And as compelling as the cameras are, and they do make, you know, they do take fantastic photos, as an all-around device, a camera does not make or break um, someone's purchasing decision. As much as we tend to think our lives in uh, in the mobile world revolve around the cameras, you know, it really doesn't come down to that. At the end of the day, it comes down to reliability, stability, performance, build quality. You know, these things matter. And I don't know, you know, I think the Pixel 4 is just, it's not going to be a runaway success. It's cannibalized the flagship lineup for the Pixel devices. And... Who knows, now with the Pixel 5 also uh, coming out this fall, later this year, who knows where uh, where, it go, where that will go. But for the most part, 
I personally don't think that the Pixel 4a is a compelling buy. Um, for those of you in the North American market, um, if you're looking at Android devices, I think you're better off looking looking elsewhere at, to like Samsung or something, because the 4a it's it's just not it's not quite there yet. Um, it's sad because the OnePlus Nord is a better offering than the Pixel 4, in my opinion, but that's not available in the in the North American market. All right, so next up, Ben, that's it for Android. Even Apple decided to uh, drop something out of the blue over the past couple of days. So Apple recently unveiled a brand new 27-inch iMac, but it's not the iMac you're thinking about. This is not the brand new redesigned iMac with Apple Silicon. This is, in fact, the same boring iMac with the same design, but with some pretty interesting tweaks here and there. So uh, what's your take on the iMac, Ben? Uh, my my take on the iMac has been my my take for for quite a while. Uh, I think I think Apple can just start getting rid of the iMacs. You know, uh, I I I've not found the iMac compelling, and the reason why it's not compelling anymore is because, well, their MacBooks are doing really well. It has you know a better screen. Uh, the, the keyboard's packed along with it. It's portable. I suppose you could say, I suppose you could make the same arguments for Windows PCs and Windows laptops. But I think with the iMac in particular, it's really being suffocated by the Mac, number one, and number two, and perhaps more importantly, the iPads. I think those two things are pretty, that are suffocating the iMac. And they, it, it needs a new breath, of, it needs a new lease on life if it shouldn't go away. And the issue with this current refresh, and it is a refresh, it's not a completely new iMac, it's just a refresh. It's that it's stale, it's boring, and it uses an Intel CPU. There's nothing wrong with Intel CPUs, but it's just that in the current market, you know, if you want to, if you want your customers to get a relatively powerful device at a relatively low cost, you give them an AMD CPU. But of course, with Apple, you can't really expect that. But when you look at the specifications, particularly on the processing side for the iMacs, it's just a small upgrade, you know. By and large, that's, that's what it is. Uh, Design-wise on the iMac, you know, those bezels are Christ, Christ on a bike. They're, they're huge. My God. This is one of the reasons why I said, you know, the iMac can just go away. I'm surprised that Apple has actually decided to keep the iMacs as they are. I'm surprised that Johnny Ive, when he was an Apple, he didn't bother just get rid of the iMacs entirely. Those bezels didn't belong on the Apple lineup since 2017, let alone 2020. But of course, I suppose with Apple, they just wanted to get, perhaps they had some sort of uh, con contractual obligations. Perhaps they simply wanted to provide their customers with just one last hurrah for the Intel iMac. You know, something something that people are comfortable with, something that people want to upgrade to, but they don't necessarily want a new design. They don't necessarily want or desire the Apple Silicon. Uh, so that's something they're looking for. Uh, I suppose the most notable upgrade to me is that for the first time in their lineup for many, many years, Apple has finally decided to put a 1080p camera into the iMac. The MacBooks didn't get that. The older iMacs didn't get that, but they did on this model. So uh, congratulations to, to Apple for finally putting in a slightly better camera. <laughs> Lex? <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you have your thoughts on this as well as someone who has, um, what, multiple iMacs at home? Well, what are your thoughts? Right. So regarding the iMac, well, um, you know, I think the iMac is not, it's not an, it's not as easy to just dismiss devices like the iMac uh, as you may think, because I think for, for the iMac, Apple's on this, this mindset whereby it goes like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't, you know, don't fix it. So the iMac has been a proven concept for uh, for years. You know, it has been the default go-to all-in-one uh, since the beginning. It actually pioneered that. But in terms of the the latest lineup of iMacs that we've gotten for the past, actually the past ten years, 
there hasn't been a significant push, a significant design refresh. And I think as a result of that, it's made, um, you know, desktops and, you know, iMacs in general, not become a default purchase for most people. Because, you know, we live in in a very mobile world, you know, everyone's on the go. But, you know, as compared to 10 years ago, where you would know of multiple people that have a desktop at home, today, that's not quite the case. You know, everyone has a laptop nowadays or uh, another a tablet. The desktop industry on, you know, on its own has been on the decline. And I think the iMac has been one of the only devices that still remained uh, the go-to choice for desktops for the most part. But its design is stale and... I agree with you, you know, the, those bezels just don't belong, don't belong there in, 20, in 2020. But this is, a, this is a last, sort of a last hoo-ha for the iMac, uh, for the Intel-based iMac, because uh, we know that there's going to be an inevitable um, iMac refresh with Apple Silicon chips sometime next year. So with that refresh just looming on the horizon, it it begs the question, is this iMac a good purchasing decision for most people? And I'm just going to go out into the realm and say it's not. You know, if you're looking to buy a desktop, you know, if if you care about things like design and you want something that will last you for a long time, this isn't the device for you. It's best to wait out a year and get that brand new iMac, which is going to be leaps and bounds better than this one. But is it a bad computer no it's not it is a fantastic computer it's just got it's just made compromises in the wrong spots design um is one of them but generally it's still a a a very very good computer and in terms of the uh the webcam yep finally you know apple's included a no uh, apple's gotten rid of gotten rid of their potato cam you know their 480p potato cameras and replaced it with a brand new 1080p camera. And this is, again, a much heavily requested change. I hope to God they bring this to all their Macs moving forwards, because uh, I think it's what we need most, especially nowadays since we're all quarantined for the most part. So, yeah, you know, the iMac is, is an interesting device. Oh, um, another thing that that makes this iMac somewhat of an interesting device is the fact that Apple's included the a new nano texture display. It's uh, um, nano texture coating on the display, and that's the same coating found on the Pro Display XDR. So now, instead of spending dropping six thousand US dollars on a Pro Display, you can get that nano texture on an iMac, which is a lot cheaper than that. But interesting updates. In a way, I think this iMac foreshadows what future Macs will have, like that nano texture display and better webcams. But it's not quite there yet. And you know, as much as I love Apple, I'm not. I, I just can't recommend this device to uh, to most people out there. So yeah, that's about it with uh, with the news. So Ben. Shall we dive into the discussions? Oh yeah, let's let's go ahead. Um, so, what we're about to discuss today is a little odd. Um, you you will hear a lot of pessimism uh, if you has if you haven't already noticed it. Uh, you will notice a lot of pessimism. But the discussion will be on uh, the sort of these these uh, rise uh, of the premium mid ranges. Well, not necessarily the rise, I suppose, but the bigger attention given to the premium mid-ranges. And so for me, I think there are three notable contenders. You know, they're the three phones that really hyped up the premium mid-range segment uh, uh, across the world. That's the iPhone SE, the OnePlus Nord, and the Google Pixel 4a. So, I personally don't understand what's the what what the hype is all about because you know companies like Samsung, Xiaomi, Huawei, etc etc 
you know, they've been releasing mid-range phones for a very long time. And it's not necessarily like they were bad. I myself used mid-range phones for a very long time until recently. And they served me well. So it seems to me a little odd as to why it's being hyped up. Except, except that the iPhone SE really gave something unique, I think. Yes, it has a data design, like I've mentioned earlier, but the processor and what you can do with the camera for $400, I think that's what, that's what's really giving the appeal to this uh, mid-range segment that we've not really seen before, you know? We've not really seen people look forward to this. And I suppose like with most thing, things in the tech industry, it has to do because it's because um, Apple, Apple did it first. Because Apple did it first, and because Apple did it loudly, everybody's paying attention. But I think in this case, it's not just a matter of good marketing. I think it's a matter of actually making quite a decent product. So the thing that really makes the iPhone SE stand out as a mid-ranger is its processor. It shares the same processor as my iPhone 11 Pro. That's impressive for a $400 phone. But of course, it's Apple. They create their own silicon, so they can do it. They can do it without incurring additional cost. This is something which other companies cannot do. They can't afford to do that. The processor itself would cost about $200. You know, the, the highest end processor, about $200. So it's, no, there's, it's not really much that a lot of companies can do to provide a high-end silicon onto their mid-range devices. And so with the devices like the Nord and the 4A, uh, what you see is that they have to compromise with the processor. They have to put in a, a Snapdragon 765. It's by no means a, a, a bad processor, but it's not the fastest. It's not the most powerful. And so with the iPhone SE, you know, people already know what the iPhone looks like. They might have been interested with the iPhone for a very long time. They just weren't willing to pay $1,000 for a phone. They maybe weren't even willing to pay $800 or $700. But for $100? Well, that's really compelling to me. A lot of people are willing to get uh, uh, such a phone. You know, if I didn't buy, if I didn't get the 11 Pro, I would have certainly gotten the iPhone SE. Just because I would like to see what an iPhone... Uh, sorry, an iOS device is like. And it's not really surprising that this is why there has been a lot of hype built up on this. And of course, the uh, OnePlus Nord and the Pixel 4a, I wouldn't say they were necessarily riding on this wave of hype, but they certainly took advantage of it because a lot of people were really hyped up for the OnePlus Nord. And also the Pixel 4a uh, for different reasons, you know. Uh, OnePlus really did a good job on marketing the OnePlus Nord, whereas the Pixel 4a has been delayed so many times that, you know, people just wanted to see it, regardless of uh, 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 what whatever state it's in, they just want to see it. So I think it's still hard for me, you know, you know, taking into consideration of all these things. But yet at the same time, it sort of makes sense as well. So, Lakshman, what, what's your take on this? I know we were discussing this a few days ago. Right. So, in terms of um, the mid-rangers, you know, to now, today more than ever, I think the mobile space is at a crossroads here. Because, you know, we've got flagship devices that are priced at the highest they've ever been priced, you know, in the thousands of dollars, you know? And now... I think as a result of that, companies are starting to take advantage of that gap in pricing between ultra high-end devices and those low-end devices. And these mid-rangers, I mean, you're right, mid-rangers have always been around, but today more than ever, almost every single company in the mobile space today, including Apple, have a compelling mid-range lineup that was unheard of five years ago and on top of that i think today at least f 
from what I've been observing, a lot of people are actually, you know, they're quite satisfied. Uh, these are not tech people, but generally the, the public in general are quite satisfied with the purchase of a premium mid-range device. Uh, for instance, the best one in, in the market being uh, devices like the OnePlus Nord and the iPhone SE. Um, I think that what Apple did here was that um, they they established a formula that worked. That was an older flagship design with new internals. So that that formula worked. A lot of people enjoy that. But on the Android side of things, as you've mentioned, uh, most other uh, manufacturers are not as privileged as Apple because they cannot use the latest processors. Because that's just not going to work, you know, because they don't have, they don't make them in-house. But what they're doing and the compromises they're making, I think, are the right compromises. And devices like Samsung's A series of phones and the OnePlus Nord and to some extent, the Pixel 4a, they make the compromises at the right, um, just the right balance of what to include and what not to include. So as a result, we get a device that's enough. It's not fantastic. It doesn't make you go, wow, but it doesn't make you go, oh, I hate this so much. When you pick it up and you use it, you just forget about it. And I think that mindset that idea has uh has really made the premium mid-range devices quite high in terms of appeal but um you know ben this begs the question do you think um with you know mid-ranges becoming more of a thing do you think this will cannibalize flagship device sales in your opinion well yes to some degree of course it's no doubt that if you're going to provide, say, something like the iPhone SE, you're definitely going to hurt the sales of your uh, uh, iPhone 11 models. However, I think that's only true to a certain extent. I mean, there's quite a bit of economics that's going on over here, uh, which I can't exactly get into. Uh, but suffice to say, if you have the money, and if you're sort of into uh, buying the latest and greatest, you're not going to bother with the uh, mid-range phones in the first place. But if you're the type of person who doesn't really care about a phone, then you just want a, a good enough phone. You know, you don't want a sucky phone. You don't want a phone that will ruin your experience, but you want a good enough phone. Well, these mid-ranges are for you. Because these are, these are the type of people who would never consider flagships in the first place. They were expensive to start with, and they're really, really, really expensive now. So... For those type of people, the OnePlus Nord, the Pixel 4a, the iPhone SE, they all work really well for themselves. And it all depends on other factors like what kind of ecosystem do you prefer? Uh, which country do you live in? And what are the prices of those devices in the local region? So while the iPhone SE is pretty cheap in Malaysia, is pretty cheap in the US, it's ridiculously expensive in India. It's really expensive in India. It's if you uh, the 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 iPhone SE wouldn't be considered mid-range in India. It's it's really pushing towards flagship territory. And uh, the iPhone 11 Pro is even more it's even more so expensive. So uh, depending on factors like that, uh, in some places yes, in some places no. Uh, but I think, by and large, the gap is large enough so that if there is any sort of cannibalization going on of other products within those particular companies, it's not going to be by much because there's enough differentiating factors and as well, of course, the cost to make sure that the cannibalization, the cannibalizing effect is reduced as much as possible. So those are my thoughts, actually, on uh, on 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 the well, you know, product cannibalization of these uh, uh, uh different companies, the, the products, the product, the products that are offered by these different companies. Now, I think for those certain kinds of people who really like the mid-range phones, or rather, or rather, who don't really bother about flagships, uh, I think all three devices are very competent. Uh, while I myself 
cannot really find I cannot find myself excited by any of these phones, honestly. But I think so for most people it would work well for them. You know, if you had to if you, if I was forced to give up my iPhone 11 Pro and I was forced to give up my Samsung S10 and choose one of these phones or two of these phones in my case, I think I'd be fine with them. I'd have a OnePlus Nord and I'd have an iPhone SE to replace both my Android and my iOS device. I think it would work pretty well. It's just in certain regards they fall a bit short, but hey, for $400, can you really expect any more? You know, that's that's quite an interesting observation. But I think what you mentioned about how the market has a significant impact when it comes to the purchasing decisions of these mid-range devices. And I like that you mentioned that, um, for example, the iPhone SE is still a very expensive device in countries like India. And this, this is because, you know, when you look at the market, um, especially with Apple in India, you know, Apple's been trying really hard to, uh, to penetrate the Indian market for quite a while. And they've not, they've not done it. You know, the iPhones are still ultra premium devices over there. And even with devices like the SE, is this not enough? That's why Google stepped in and now we got, you know, devices like uh, the Pixel 4a. So marketing and, you know, you know, certain economical factors and so on really have a significant role that sort of resulted in, uh, in the creation and the birth of this, new lineup of mid-range devices. And I think, you know, today more than ever, you know, now that, you know, a lot of us are still, um, you know, we, we, you know, the economy is not doing so well in a lot of countries. I think now the appeal factor for, for mid-range devices is higher. It's the highest it's ever been. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, if, if you were to give up your, uh, your S10 and the iPhone 11 Pro, you could still be okay with an iPhone SE, and the OnePlus Nord. Because I think what we are seeing, you know, at least with the latest lineup of mid-ranges, is that we are at an exciting time for mid-range devices. Because they're making the compromises that that don't matter, you know? They in fact are focusing on the things that matter most. Things like pricing, things like, you know, the you know, the feature set. And these things matter to most people. And striking a balance between both, that's the key here. But at the same time, in terms of them cannibalizing flagship devices, and that's a really tough one because, again, the flagship devices will always be, they will always be the cool device. You know, no matter which brand you're talking about, they will always be the, you know, the one that will make you go, wow. But with that in mind... You know, these features that are now on the mid-range devices, you know, just two or three years ago, they were on flagship devices. So I think for most people, at least those who are budget conscious, I think, you know, they don't have to jump on board the latest uh, flagship device if they really can't afford one. They should, in fact, wait it out a couple of years, and those once flagship features would trickle down to these mid-range devices. And again, it makes them a lot more compelling. So the argument that I'm presenting here is that I think it's an exciting time for mid-ranges and going forward, forwards, I think with the offerings that we're seeing from the likes of Samsung, Google, OnePlus, Apple, and a bunch of other manufacturers, moving forwards, I think it's going to make, you know, I think the lineup between premium and premium mid-ranger, you know, it's going to be a little blurry. You know, the ultra premium devices will always stand out, but premium devices and premium mid-ranger devices, now that's a tough one, at least moving forwards in the future. Uh, what's your take, Ben? Well, I actually quite agree with that assessment. I think so. Uh, the lines are being blurred even as we speak. But I think the lines are being blurred because there are two distinct approaches that are being taken by these companies. And the distinct approaches, let's call approach one, the Apple approach, and the second approach being the Android approach. So anyone who views these three devices can immediately tell a stark difference, but they can't exactly point what's the difference. So if I may, the difference between the Apple approach and the Android approach is this. With Apple, 
they don't continuously update their mid-range phones, if you notice. The first generation iPhone SE was released years ago and they did not update or refresh the lineup until this year. And so I think we can expect Apple to do the same thing moving forward. But more importantly, if you notice, and as you've mentioned, Apple's using, well, what is considered to be an outdated design by 2020 standards, but Apple does not have to retool their machines. They don't have to take the time to design something new to make sure that it works. All the sorts of issues and processes that arise from making a new device, Apple can simply throw it out the window, use their old design, and simply upgrade the internals. And I think that'll work really well for them. Indeed, if Apple were to have made a new chassis for their phones, I think so, the phone wouldn't be at $400. It would be more towards, you know, $600, $700. At that point, you know, it'd be pretty useless to consider the uh, iPhone SE as some sort of a mid-range or budget option. But because they were able to reuse the design, and because the design's pretty good looking in the first place, even though it's outdated, it has that sort of traction and a, and a uh, effect in the market. And with the Android approach, notice all the compromises that had to be made. You can't exactly have a premium feeling chassis. You have to use a lot of plastic. You have to sacrifice on your CPU. The screen, the cameras to some regard, something has to be sacrificed, and it's quite a bit. Now, I'm not saying that either approach is good or bad. You know, they both have their merits. For example, if you are an Android manufacturer, it's really hard to reuse your old design. Because your old design doesn't necessarily look that much different to your current design. And furthermore, you don't really want the old design to start affecting your new products that badly. Because that's when the cannibalization effect will really take hold. Because the two devices look so similar between the mid-range and the premium that people might as well just go for the mid-range. Whereas with Apple, in Apple's case, the designs are distinctive enough. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to be using a design that's technically five years old already. And by the time I buy this phone and use it for another five years, it be, it will be 10 years old. Not to mention the paltry screen, which is actually in the iPhone SE, which is its weakest uh, uh, point. And it may not be something that a lot of people accept. It's not a full HD screen. It's not even a high refresh panel, which the OnePlus Nord has. So there's a give and take for all of these. But I think these are the two distinctive attempts in manufacturing a mid-range phone. And I think this trend will continue until some sort of, um, let's say, upheaval happens in the smartphone market, which doesn't seem to be the case. And the closest thing to, the closest thing to that is um, the foldables. I think the fold foldables might become the new premium and ultra premium, whereas your regular phones with super thin bezels and, you know, maybe the punch hole camera or, you know, camera under the glass entirely, that might be the new mid-range. And that is something very... Uh, it's something I look forward to, actually, if it ever happens. You know, interesting observation. But I think it comes down to a game of compromise here. And I think with all the manufacturers out there, they're all trying to compromise on some things. You know, Apple's compromising on design for better internals and longer support. Android's trying to find the best of both worlds, both offering a compelling modern design, uh, with, uh, but they compromise a bit on the processor and the camera. So it's a game of compromises here. And, you know, as the mid-range lineup matures, you know, it's, it's interesting to see where they're going. Because in the future, you know, five years from now, uh, when Apple, for, for instance, when they choose to update the iPhone SE, I think it's safe to say that the iPhone SE lineup will finally have Face ID. It'll finally be a almost bezel-less display. You know, but at that time, that's when the distinction between premium mid-range and premium device, that's where we have to really start to evaluate things. And as you mentioned, 
I think you're right. You know, in five to you know, in five to six years, the ultra premium devices, you know, they'll be all all sorts of foldables, and these um, these premium mid rangers will look like the ultra premium devices we have now today, and that's not a bad thing, you know, because we need to have this this the distinction, you know, we. I don't think companies would want cannibalization. That's not what we want. But generally, making the right sacrifices matters. And you know, you know, mid the mid range lineup has never been a more compelling option than it is today. And you know, going moving forwards, it is an exciting time for for mobile devices. You know, in terms of mobile phone innovation, I think we've already hit a plateau. And I think the next step is, you know, foldables and and whatnot. But with the mid-range devices, with the prices we're going to pay and for what we're going to get, that's interesting. You know, I think that would be something to keep an eye out, at least for uh, the mobile industry uh, moving forwards. And now with, you know, major manufacturers like Apple, who who for the longest time have never had a, a mid-range device. You know, today the iPhone SE is one of their best-selling devices. I think it's interesting, and moving forwards, um, it's you know who knows where where this lineup will go. So yeah, that's uh, that's about it for the mid ranges, Ben. And how would you sum it up? How would you sum up premium mid ranges moving forwards? Well, in short, as you've mentioned, it's going to be the sort of compromises that we've already expect. But you know, again, that's that's something that uh, is not much of a trouble for a lot of people. I believe that the two approaches will continue in the same sort of trajectory. I don't think Android manufacturers have the capability. I don't think they have the capability, nor do they necessarily have the options to do what Apple is doing. But I think that's okay. I think that's the sort of variety that we need. And just like in the car industry, where, for example, the Mercedes S-Class, the new features that are, that are in the S-Class, it always trickles down to the low-end cars. So right now, even relatively cheaper cars, have the features of what the S-Class had many, many years ago, and I think it's no different here. I think that Face ID may eventually show up on the iPhone SE third generation. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and I'm hoping to see the foldables dominate the ultra-premium slash premium market so that the current devices which occupy that space now get to go down to the mid-range market the mid-range segment, the budget segment, and hey, it's a win-win for everybody. You know, I think that's a fantastic next. It's a fantastic few years to look forward to, uh, if you're not the type of person to really care about flagships. And frankly speaking, year by year, I find I find flagships to be less and less compelling. So I think that might be the sort of thing that I'm looking for eventually. So let us know what you think, uh, ladies and gentlemen. If, for example, I sounded a bit odd today, I'm very sorry. I'm starting to be a bit ill. Uh, hopefully, I'll be uh, I'll get better soon. Uh, let us know uh, what you think about uh, the you know, news for the past week or so. So, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Silicon Syndicate. Thank you, and until next time. <laughs>